Well, here we are. You may be wondering what in the world I'm doing up here, and frankly, so am I. <laughs> you wouldn't have to go back too many years for your wondering to be pretty accurate. And uh, maybe years is the wrong word, maybe months or days. I think I did actually make it through this morning without yelling at my wife or committing any of the seven deadly sins. And truth be told, I'm here this morning because God, in, in His infinite wisdom, knows that I'm one of the slower learners in our church, and the only way He's going to get through to my stubborn will is to make me spend a couple weeks learning and practicing this myself. And you may laugh, but I've had to repeat second grade for the last nine years. <laughs> and second grade is all about the fundamentals, and specifically... It's about practicing those fundamentals. Most first graders get the basics of reading before they come to me. But as their second grade teacher, I have to help them practice that and get proficient at reading. They get introduced in first grade to addition and subtraction. And uh, my job is to make sure they're proficient at that before they exit second grade. And I want to do much the same thing here with you this morning. We're headed to Romans 12 in a few moments, and most of you will be very familiar with this passage. We're going to talk about some basic fundamental parts of the Christian life, but I hope you'll stick with me. I hope you'll see how important it is to be proficient in living it out, not just having a basic understanding. Last week, Pastor Dave did a fabulous job of showing the power of God's Word and let's see what this, this powerful word, says about being proficient at the fundamentals. Would you pray with me first? Lord, I want to acknowledge that you are present here in this building. God, you're present here in the hearts of this, these people. And you're here on this platform with me. We're here to worship and honor you. We're here out of obedience to your word. We're here, Lord, because you are perfect and we are not. We need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. And we crave your love, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would increase this morning, but we would decrease. God, I pray that myself and each person in this room would be, see less of each other, that we would be less impressed with each other, that we would worry less about the thoughts and, of other people, and we'd be consumed with you, Lord. God, help me to get out of the way of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can turn with me to Romans 12, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... But all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, 
are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministering, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Pastor Dave usually and often suggests a portion of scripture for us to meditate on throughout the week at the end of his sermons. And I want to stop right now and beg you to do the same with this passage or any passage that God lays on your hearts. I'm not joking that the fact of spending time in God's word, even when you're forced to, is life-changing. You can ask my wife after the service. So how can we be proficient at the fundamentals? Verse 1 in Romans tells us to be living sacrifices. And I don't think I need to go into any gory detail this morning. But a sacrifice basically has no say in what's going on. It's dead. Isaac was completely at the mercy of his father Abraham before God intervened. And of course, Jesus himself dramatically illustrated this for us as he let his arms be nailed to the cross. Being a living sacrifice means yielding control to the Lord, being submissive to his will. It means being completely surrendered to him. I'm reminded of one of my children, who will of course remain nameless, who's unbelievably stubborn and competitive. This particular child has such a strong desire to be in control that they will endure immense pain, physical pain, before they admit defeat in any form. And every time I have to discipline this child, I have my own stubbornness thrown right in my face. How often do I fight against my perfect heavenly father, who has a perfect plan for me? I wish I could say it differently, but surrender involves defeat. It's an admission of our inability to win. We can't earn or accomplish anything on our own. Yes, there must be an initial understanding of our own helplessness when we first come to Christ. But we must continue to hold to that truth that none of us, none of us can do or be anything on our own strength. When was the last time you verbally 
out loud, use these words to God. God, you are in charge. I surrender my will, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my family, my job, my dreams, my everything to you. I want to be a living sacrifice. We see this principle throughout the scripture. It's going to get complicated. I've got to do more than one thing at a time now. In John 12, it says, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Pardon me. Or Psalm 37. There it goes. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Or Matthew 10. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. This is pretty clear. I want to challenge you today that surrender is not a one-time deal. You must consciously surrender and you must continually surrender. I know I'm guilty of spending far too many days blindly unaware and sadly often very aware that I'm doing and acting completely on my own strength and in my own wisdom. But the fundamentals don't stop with surrendering. Because verse 2 in Romans 12 goes on and says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to connect this verse to Proverbs 4.23, which says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I have to pause and give you a quick mini-lesson. just can't quite get the teacher out of me. The Bible sometimes uses several words to talk about our inner selves, as in the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This clearly encompasses all that we are. And verse 1 of Romans used the word body to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which again encompasses everything. Proverbs and many other passages of Scripture use the word heart to clearly mean our entire mental and moral activity. It includes our emotions, but it's also our reasoning and our minds and our will. We wrongly try to separate what we do with our physical bodies from what's inside And we're wrongly interpreting scripture if we think that hearts is only talking about our emotions. This is important as we consider what it means not to be conformed or the same as the world, but to be transformed, to look and be like Christ. As we consider guarding our hearts and not being conformed to this world, I want you to think about the fact that God created humans to be worshipers. Maybe you've never stopped to think about it. But we were made to be odd. Maybe it was some amazing physical athletic feat. Maybe it's standing on the top of a mountain looking at a beautiful vista. Maybe it's for car guys, it's a $2 million Bugatti Venron car. Maybe it's simply your sibling's piece of cake. 
We're all worshiping something every moment of our lives. And the question is, are we worshiping and conforming to the stuff of this world? Or are we worshiping God? We must make choices about what we let in through our eyes and our ears and our mouths and our thoughts, everything. And I'm consciously going to choose today not to be specific about any of those things. But I'm not doing that out of fear of offending anyone here. I'm doing that out of fear that you'll justify some lesser evil simply because you haven't conformed to something worldly on our man-made hierarchy of sins. God's standard for us is perfection through his strength. Not having a better than or a good enough attitude. I love how this next passage in Philippians 4 is explicit. If I can get it there. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don't conform to the world and be transformed. Let me start by telling you that an extremely common complaint among teachers is that we work all day long to help kids learn how to be good listeners or or how to pay attention, and then they go home at night. And they completely undo that work. And summertime has the same effect on academic learning, as students often neglect to spend time reading or maintaining their learning. My students keep conforming to their messed up home life, and any transformation continues to be lost. And I want to remind you this morning that the Christian life does not involve vacations. There is no distinction between our spiritual and our regular lives. The Holy Spirit is present with you everywhere, and His work never stops. And we have a part to play, and our part starts right here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Psalm 1 makes us extremely clear. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. I cannot stress enough to you this morning that this sermon and a little bit of time spent in Sunday school is not enough to renew your mind. You have to fill your mind with and spend time thinking about God's word every day. Well, if you are daily surrendering yourself to the Lord and you're not conforming to the world, but you're renewing your mind with God's word, then there should be evidence. Is there evidence of God's work in you? We've become amazingly self-centered in the American church. I'll say Americans. I'm not pointing too many fingers directly at you. We put the gospel into a neat little package to make it easy. The majority of our prayers are about asking God to do something for us or one of our friends. We want God to be an actor. We want him to have a small part in our play, in our lives. And yet Paul's follow-up to being a living sacrifice and renewing our minds is to immediately talk about each of us being humble in verse 3 of chapter 12 and being a small part of a body in Christ in verse 4 and 5. This is his play. He's the playwright. 
And we're just fortunate enough to play a small part in it. In verse 6 and 7, Paul talks about using the gifts that God has given to us to do his work as part of this body. And then in verse 9 and beyond, he gets real nitty-gritty about the kind of evidence we should be showing. He talks about loving without hypocrisy, about hating evil, about unselfishly giving preference to other people, about not repaying evil with evil, or living peaceably with all people, and feeding a hungry enemy, just to name a few in there. In fact, Scripture is full of concrete ways that we show evidence of an overflowing of a giving heart. Ephesians 5 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another familiar one. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or James 1, 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I hope you see how making fundamental choices, how fundamental, pardon me, these choices are. God says surrender, don't conform, renew your mind, and love others. I'm not giving you some complicated 12-step program or talking about calculus this morning. These are simple choices that you make and God empowers them. I heard another preacher use this illustration and I hope it will drive this point home to you as well as it did for me. Imagine that I ask one of my children, to take the garbage out for me. Simple enough. Well, how well do you think it'll go over if an hour later, one of these kids come back, comes back and says to me, Dad, I memorized what you said. I'd say, great child, but do it. Take out the garbage. And an hour later, they return and they say to me, Dad, I got together with some friends and we talked about what it would look like to take out the garbage. As a parent... You'd be a little exasperated at this point. And as you know, I have brilliant children. And the kids would see my frustration. And they'd say, Dad, I even did a word study of what you said in the Greek. <laughs> or maybe as a last-ditch last ditch effort, pardon me, they might even say to me, Dad, I took the garbage out in my heart. <laughs> no, do what I said. Thankfully, God is patient with us. But why do we make obeying Him so convoluted? God said earlier, don't get drunk. He said, sing and make music. He said, be my witnesses. He said, look after the orphans and the widows. It's as simple as that. Our loving, perfect Heavenly Father asks us to surrender to Him, to guard our hearts, and to love others. And the question simply is, will we do it? 
Maybe you've heard all this this morning and you're feeling pretty good about how you're doing. Can I caution you with one last scripture this morning? Listen to Jeremiah 17, 9 and half of verse 10. It's not up there. I'm going to read it. It says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. We need to stop and ask the Lord to do just that. Are you fully surrendered to him? Are you allowing God to decide the direction that every moment of your day and your life takes? Are you willing to surrender tomorrow morning when you wake up? Are you willing to surrender this afternoon when you mess up? He's faithful. He's powerful. He's a loving God. He knows the future. You can trust him. And are you diligently fighting confirmation and seeking to be transformed? I'm living proof in front of you here today that spending time in God's word, the Bible really does transform us. And is there evidence? Evidence that God can see. Not things to impress other people. Jesus promised that when we love like he loved, our reward will be great. Are you going to keep being like one of my second graders who when asked what six plus three is for the thousandth time does this? One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Mr. Hively. Or are you going to willingly, to consistently obey God and see his power change your life and the lives around you? Maybe you've been listening today and you've never really understood who God is. And it all sounds a little confusing to you, but something's prompting you to learn more. I or I, there's plenty of people that I could point to, would love to talk with you, and we'd love to help you better understand who God is. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please work in us. Too often we fail over and over because we don't trust you enough to surrender. We beg and we pray for change, but we aren't willing to guard our hearts or be transformed by the renewing of our minds in your word. God, we see enormous hurt all around us, but we refuse to let you help through us. God, make a change starting in me this morning. Lord, thank you for the many people in this church who are diligently following you. I pray that you would strengthen their walk, Lord. Encourage them to delve more deeply into you. For those that have never taken that first step of faith, draw them to yourself, Lord. Help them to understand the gospel, the good news that you conquered sin through your death and resurrection. Lord, may we all be encouraged by these words from the end of 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.